Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Norris. I get to serve as the senior pastor at Perimeter Church, and this is a, a podcast that we do on occasion that accompanies the teaching series that we are going through or have recently finished. And in this case, that's the that's what's going on is we're doing one more podcast on heaven. Even though we wrapped up that series uh, a week or so ago, we felt like it was important to continue to dig deeper on this subject matter and what the scriptures have to say and what we can learn and glean from it. So that's what we're doing today. I'm excited because we have with us today a couple of uh, really special guests that uh, you're going to be, I think, deeply encouraged uh, by what they say and what they share. Caleb's with me, as usual. You know him. I'll give you a quick intro just in case if you're not familiar with um, with Caleb and, and haven't been around Perimeter very often. Caleb is on our teaching team. He serves as our Director of Spiritual and Theological Development here uh, as one of our pastors. Uh, graduate of Covenant Seminary, currently working on his uh, doctorate, and uh, just uh, as you know, if you've listened to these before, always has great insight and perspective. But I want to introduce you to uh, these two men sitting to my left who are with us here today. Uh, first, let me introduce you to Travis Vaughn. Travis serves as the executive director for Metro Atlanta Collective. Um, Travis is a Perimeter member and is one of our elders here. Um, and uh, let me tell you first, I kind of said executive director for Metro Atlanta Collective. It just blew past that, but uh, that's a really important thing that happens here in our city where it's a gathering of uh, church planners from across the city of Atlanta that are uh, devoted to training and equipping. And um, Travis, I'm actually going to defer to you here. Tell me exactly what it is that you guys do and why it's so important to the Lord's work in Atlanta. Yeah, Metro Atlanta Collective, it's about 17, 18 years old now as an organization. Perimeter was very instrumental in its early days, uh, helping it to get off the ground. Our mission is to cultivate a network of leaders who plant, strengthen, and renew churches throughout Atlanta. And I'm going into my, just finished my fourth year serving as executive director. It's been a ton of fun. So yeah, awesome. thrilled to be here. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I've gotten to, um, I serve on one of the advisory boards for it and, and uh, been able to sit in on their gatherings on Tuesday a few times. Deeply encouraging and uh, awesome what God is doing through that network of pastors. Travis also co-founded Terminus Collective and is a founding board member of the Atlanta Church Planting Alliance. And um, he too received his uh, degree from Covenant, MA from Covenant Seminary, uh, and has done some PhD work through Concordia Theological Seminary. So um, it's been fun for Caleb and I to engage a fair amount with Travis as we prepared for teaching the Heaven series, and his insight and, and research was incredibly helpful. Next to Travis is Dr. Jimmy Agin. Uh, Jimmy the, was the professor of New Testament and uh, director of Covenant Seminary's homiletics program, did that for, for eight years, and uh, then in 2015, came to Atlanta to serve as the senior pastor at In-Town Community Church, which was a, a perimeter church plant, I don't know how many years ago, long, long time ago, 35 years ago, Bob Cargo uh, uh, planted that church. And so uh, we're thrilled at what God's been doing and, and you, how he's been using Jimmy in that community and in that, in that church body over these last six years. Um, before that, uh, he was... Before he was at Covenant, um, 
Uh, Jimmy served as a part-time associate pastor at Greenwood Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, South Carolina, and uh, then served as senior pastor of Clemson Presbyterian Church in Clemson, South Carolina. Um, he holds a BA in philosophy from Clemson University, an MDiv from Covenant Seminary, and a PhD in New Testament exegesis from Aberdeen University in Scotland. So uh, introductions out of the way. That was a lot. Here's the bottom line. These are some pretty awesome guys, and um, God has gifted them uh, not only with intellect, but wisdom and a pastoral heart to be able to dive into a subject like the new heavens and the new earth. And I think you'll find in this podcast, as we discuss here, uh, lots of insight, but, uh, but just even talking with these, these brothers before we hit record, my heart so deeply encouraged um, by uh, where we're headed in this podcast. And I pray and hope that you will sense and feel the same from the Holy Spirit as we as we discuss this topic. So we're going to talk about the new heavens and the new earth. We're, uh, we finished, as I said, this, this series on heaven, and we talked in, in general about the new heavens and the new earth. When Christ returns and he renews all things and all who are in Christ are uh, reunited with their resurrected bodies in this renewed reality uh, that the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. We talked about it in general, but we didn't get super specific. And so we want to do that in this podcast. And so uh, here's where I want to start us off, guys, and, and let you um, uh, jump in. And, and I'm, I want to mainly listen in this, in this episode. Famous last words, right, from an extrovert who, who verbally processes. But, <laughs> um, um, you know, in, in our experience, I think we would say, even as we discussed beforehand, that um, when we look at some of the ways in which not just culture may represent heaven, um, but even, even within the church, the ways in which heaven has been discussed. And let me just pause right here and give a quick clarification. When, for those of you listening, when we say heaven, here's what we mean. We're talking about uh, what, what that place is or what that existence is when you die before Christ returns, what we have called in this series the intermediate state, where you're absent from the body but present with the Lord. You're with Christ. Um, that's what we mean when we say heaven. Now, when we say the new heavens and the new earth, what we're talking about is when Christ returns and makes all things new and heaven comes to earth in this physical reality where we are re reunited with our bodies, uh, but also uh, all of creation has been made new. So that's, that's the focus of this series. But when we talk about heaven and we talk about the new heavens and the new earth, I think we would all agree there's misconceptions. There's things that we have thought about those realities that uh, as we dig into Scripture, we realize, wow, Scripture doesn't lead us in this direction. It actually tells us some things that are pretty different. Um, and so maybe I'll try to tee us up by just starting with this, and then we'll just go from here. Uh, the Bible says in Colossians 1 that he's going to renew all things. What do we make of that? What does that mean? And, and how is that different than remake all things. What do we what do we think? What are some thoughts there? Yeah, I'll just mention briefly that all hard questions today need to go to Dr. Jimmy Agan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thankful that he's here on the podcast doing this. Um, and I will kind of preface a little bit um, with your question even. You know, the, the topic that we're addressing about heaven or the new heavens and the new earth, um, 
ultimately this is about Jesus. Uh, it's not the landscape or the architecture of the new heavens and the new earth. It's not about the job descriptions that we're going to have. I mean, you can, we, can, we can speculate, but in some of that, that would be the best we could do, would be speculating. You know, so we don't want to speak more than what Scripture is saying. We don't need to speak less of what Scripture is saying. But, um, and there's a number of traditions, obviously, that are going to go different directions. And so right. I would humbly say I could be very wrong. Um, but uh, it's an honor to be able to be on the podcast. I'll say just a, a little bit, and I, I know Jimmy has a lot of things to say about this. Um, when it comes to uh, the difference between remade or renew, uh, talking about specifically the new heavens and the new earth, you know, there's a few passages that come to mind. Uh, Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Second Peter 3.13 says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then there's Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw John's writing, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Um, you know, I, I think in these passages, particularly in Revelation and in Second Peter, um, I think it's more helpful to think of uh, this is renewal and not replacement. Um, it's not something that is going to be completely new. Um, the word that's being used to signal renewal um, and not a replacement is the, is the word kainos. Um, we even have a church plant. Just yeah. thought of that. Yeah. A church plant perimeter named kainos. Yeah, John plant, Thompson's church, yeah, right. Being yeah. planted in Lilburn. So the word kainos, um, at least according to the, the late Reformed author Anthony Hookema, and I'm going, to, I'm going to mention a few different resources today, which uh, I'll recommend. Um, but according to Hookema, this means, uh, kainos means new in nature or new in quality. So that's the word that's being used here, rather than the word neos, which refers more to something completely new, like new in origin or new in time. So when John writes a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21.1, this means Again, at least according to Hukama, not the emergence of a cosmos totally other than the present one, but but the creation of a universe which, though it's been glorious renew, gloriously renewed, it stands in continuity with the present one. Um, so he also he also says uh, we would expect that the new earth will not be totally different from the present earth, but will be the present earth totally renewed. So mm. kind of thinking continuity and discontinuity at the same time. Some things are going to be very different. Some things maybe not. Um, so Jimmy, what else would you add to that? Yeah, that's a great approach, Travis. Um, I think the best place for us to start is where you already mentioned. We're, we're Christians. The most important um, person in the universe for us is Jesus. He's the mediator of every blessing. That comes to us from the Father, from the Spirit. Um, he is the one who took on flesh and blood to become our Redeemer. If we want to know what the future is for us, we look to Him because He's the only one who has experienced resurrection already. And so we start asking the question, um, did Jesus cease to exist and get replaced with a brand new version? Hmm. And the answer is no. The same person who lived for us and died for us on the cross um, 
was raised from the dead, not only the same soul or spirit, but the same body that was laid in the tomb was given a new quality of life. Um, that body wasn't destroyed and replaced with a new one. And so um, we see a similar pattern when uh, Isaiah talks about new heavens and new earth in Isaiah 65 and 66, um, where he's talking about Jerusalem and Judah being ransacked by the armies of Babylon as a penalty for idolatry on the part of Israel. Jerusalem isn't annihilated and replaced with a brand new city. The old city is rebuilt. It's mm -hmm. renewed. So we see that pattern with uh, the Old Testament context, promises of new heaven and new earth. We see that pattern in Christ, uh, where we don't have this replacement theology. Somehow uh, Jesus is done away with and replaced with the new one. No, it's the same Redeemer who is raised for us. And so that sets the pattern for what new heavens and new earth will be. That's what resurrection life is like. Uh, resurrection life is what Jesus is already experiencing and what he will share with us. And so if the more we want to know about new heavens, new earth, resurrection bodies, the more we should look at Christ. And so in that way, um, we are uh, becoming more radically Christ-centered the more we think about our future. Mm -hmm. Because if we want to see our future, we see it already in what Jesus has experienced on the third day. Let me let me ask you all this, um, Caleb. Feel free to jump in here. Sure. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe I'm listening and I go, uh, wait a second. And so I'll you know maybe I'm playing for the sake of maybe some of our listeners. I'll play devil's advocate and say, all right. Well, so you're saying that there's not a complete remaking, but a renewing of what currently exists. Uh, all right. A couple of thoughts come to mind. One. I, I start thinking of some things that we've sung in the history of the church that don't say that, right? And, and for instance, one of our classic hymns says, when the earth dissolves like snow. Uh, so there's so we've sung some things that would contradict a renewal versus a replacement understanding of the, of the new heavens and new earth. But then if we go to Scripture, we go, okay, what do we make of this particular passage that we see in 2 Peter, where this is the language, um, where we see in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Second Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the day, uh, the coming of the day of God? You know, I was taught growing up, and... Um, it was affirmed over and over and over again, and I shared this in the series, actually, that the only things that last forever are God, His Word, and the souls of men. So devote your life to that. Everything else burns up. Everything else dissolves. Everything else goes away. Um, and yeah, so if, if those things aren't going to last forever, if the, if the world in its physicality is not going to last forever, then, you know, what do we do with that? And how do we, is, are we interpreting 2 Peter 3 wrong? Um, what's the Greek word there? Like maybe we need to spend some time digging into some, uh, you know, criticism of the text, right? So um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great question. But 
You're asking Caleb, right, to start? Yeah, yeah, Caleb. <laughs> oh, I, can't, yeah. I can speak. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a couple things going on when you get to those texts. I mean, we could start digging into the, the Greek words there in that particular text, because that, that 2 Peter 3 one is, I mean, when I heard that as a kid, I mean, I grew up in a very different tradition from the Presbyterian Church. I mean, when we came to Perimeter, my parents were Arminian Charismatics who had experienced only dispensational theology. And so we, I thought everything was just going to burn up. Um, and that didn't change until I got to Covenant Seminary, actually. I didn't, I had not yet gotten that picture, that part is this, of it. Is this the time to say that Jimmy was your favorite professor? Is, he was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Very uh, diplomatically handled. You, you'll notice he didn't, he, he didn't, didn't agree. Affirm, or <laughs> he, didn't, not, right? he didn't affirm, did he? He was a good no, one. He didn't. Uh, <laughs> Smart guy. <laughs> but uh, I think one of the things to remember when you're interpreting a passage like that is, is remembering the canonical context. Like, you're reading Scripture through the lens of the entire narrative story, and God's intention doesn't change from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And so if you're considering what God created the world to be, then whatever you're thinking about the end, it's not going to be a contradiction of that. And the replacement idea, in my mind, contradicts Genesis 1 and 2 and God's intention for the world. And so you already should be interpreting it through that lens, which should lead you towards a sense of, well, somehow this world, God has covenanted with it. He's not going to destroy it. Somehow it's going to be renewed and restored. So how does this passage fit? I think that's where the the Greek questions come in, and I'll pass that to y'all. Y'all are much more expert on that than I might be, but I think that's the starting point is thinking in the greater canon of Scripture, the larger redemptive story, how do we interpret through that lens first, which should call into question a theology that says this is all going to get wiped away. Right. Where did we? Can I just ask this question? Because that's really good. And goes back to even something we taught in the sure. series as yeah, well. Yeah. Of like you got to interpret scripture with scripture, and we have to have this holistic understanding of the word of God. And if yeah. there's a passage that seems to be saying something that the rest of scripture doesn't say, then you know we got to dig into that and, yeah. and and examine it. But what what about how did we get this translation burned up? And and is that the best way to translate that? Or and if it is, what does it mean? You know how do we how do we get specific on that? Jimmy, um, why don't you tackle that? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll jump in there. Uh, first of all, it's we're we're talking about Second Peter, it's uh, chapter three, and um, verses eleven and following. And the verse that we want to uh, zero in on is um, is uh, I'm going to jump back to verse ten. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Um, we might, in English, say a whoosh. Um, mm. it's, it's probably reminding us of the sound that fire would make. Mm. Uh, not the roar of a lion, but the noise that's made by a consuming fire, purifying um, God's good creation that's been spoiled by all the aspects of the curse brought about by human departure from God. Basically looking at God and saying, you created all of this, but we believe we can manage life here better without you. And so uh, every aspect of the fall has to be purified and purged away, cleansed away. So um, we're going to think in terms of those biblical images of a refiner's fire, a purifying fire, not necessarily a fire that destroys so that there's nothing left behind. Um, and then the text goes on to say, verse 10, again, Second Peter 3, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Um, there's no other way to translate uh, the verb there, burned up. It, 
it means what it says. But again, let's think here in terms of that purifying, purging fire. Uh, then the verse goes on to say, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be something. Will be what? Well, it depends on what translation you're reading. Uh, if you're reading the ESV as I am, it says the earth and the works done on it will be exposed. Um, if you read the King James, it says the earth and the works done on it will be burned up. Same verb as used earlier in the verse. Uh, is that because the same word can be translated two different ways? No, it's because the King James was drawing on a manuscript tradition that uses a different word. Uh, and so there are some Greek manuscripts that have the, the word burned up again, twice in this verse. The heavenly bodies will be burned up, and then the earth and the works done on it will be burned up. But there are other manuscripts that have a different verb at the end. And so uh, those manuscripts say what you would find here reflected in the ESV. The heavenly bodies will be burned up, and the earth and the works done on it will be found or found out. Mm -hmm. um, or exposed. Exposed for what they right. are. In right. other words, nothing can be hidden from God's judgment. Um, now, which of those manuscript traditions is more reliable? Which of those verbs did Peter actually write? That's the kind of question we need to ask and the kind of question that seminary professors and people who <laughs> go to Aberdeen, Scotland to study the New Testament get into, right? And if I had to answer that question, I would say there are more and more reliable manuscripts that have that in this verse the way that ESV does, that the earth and the works done on it are not going to be burned up, they're going to be found, mm -hmm. found out, exposed by God. And um, speak to this, if you will, judgment. Jimmy. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, right. but like, but all of a sudden that clicks because going back to what Caleb said, oh, now we have a thread that's consistent throughout Scripture, right? Mm -hmm. The burned up doesn't fit, but the exposed fits, the purifying fits, because this is language God has used throughout the word of this purifying work that he's doing both with his people and with his creation, we can start looking back to the flood. Mm -hmm. We can start thinking about all the ways in which God in the new Testament starts talking about how he's going to purify his people and, and purify the church. And then now he's talking about purifying the world itself. So yeah, speak to that. What, how do we begin to pull that thread? So let me say a couple things there that I think would help. One is uh, the context of Second Peter, and the other is a similar passage in Revelation chapter 6. So context of Second Peter, uh, in chapter 3, there's a warning being made to false teachers. And there's a reminder being given to God's people, remain faithful, uh, you're, you're under a trial, and these false teachers are making it harder. And those false teachers seem to think that they're going to get away, that uh, they're going to get off scot-free, that God won't find them out. Mm. And so here's a warning to the false teachers and an encouragement to God's faithful who are resisting the false teaching. They will be found out. Uh, they, they are not going to get away with it. They, mm. they may fool themselves. They may fool a lot of people. But they cannot fool God. They cannot hide from Him. And so that context of Second Peter helps us. And then we see a really similar image developed uh, with more visual uh, symbolism in, second, uh, I mean in, in Revelation uh, chapter 6, where final judgment is coming and the mountains run away. They have enough, the, the, the physical creation has enough sense to kind of get out of the way when God comes in judgment. They know they can't hide from Him. And uh, 
There's no place left to hide. The kings of the earth from, and everyone from greatest to smallest has no place to hide before God's searching judgment. And so when we read in this passage in 2 Peter 3 um, about the heavenly bodies being burned up and dissolved, that's not God's way of saying, oh, I shouldn't have made the sun. Oh, the moon was a bad idea. You know when I said I made everything and it was good? Mm. Um, I was wrong about that. Let me get rid of those things. This is a symbol saying when God comes in judgment, this final purification, this removal of everything that resists and opposes his will and brings about sorrow and grief and sickness and sadness and death, when he comes to get rid of all of that for good, nothing can hide, mm. and there will be no place to stand. And you, and you may have deceived yourself, but you cannot deceive him. And as uh, our oldest and most reliable Greek manuscripts say, uh, the earth and the works done on it will be found. Mm. They will be found out by God. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, what good news for um, those who trust Christ that when, uh, when God comes to find out who you really are and what's most important about you, if you're united to Jesus by faith, then the most important thing about you is Jesus. Yeah. And when God looks and He searches and He exposes the core of who you are, what does He find? He finds Jesus with whom He is absolutely pleased and delighted. So there's nothing here for us to be afraid of right. if we're believers in Jesus. Right. Um, but there's also not, as, as Caleb mentioned, Genesis 1 and 2, there's not God changing his mind and saying, oh, man, that, that whole earth, the heavens and earth I created, <laughs> I said it was good, but, but now I've changed my mind. How do we know that? Well, if you ever get infused as a believer, just go back to Jesus. Mm. God didn't change his mind about whether it was good for Jesus to have a body. On the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead with a body that is more solidly physical than mine and yours are right now. Mm -hmm. So solidly physical that it can never get injured or sick, that death can't threaten it anymore. God didn't change his mind about Jesus having a physical body. He's not changed his mind about whether it's good for there to be a physical earth right. uh, for right. us to live and dwell on the home of righteousness, as Peter goes on to say. That's so good. I want to come back to that about what do we about the body and Jesus's body and what implications there might be for us in our resurrected bodies. Before that, though, I want to hit one more thing on what some of our potential misconceptions are. And Travis, you said something before we hit record on this that um, I thought was really important for our folks to hear, uh, which is how we even think about heaven as it exists right now, right? And, and as I said earlier, when we say heaven, we're talking about heaven right now before Jesus returns and, and uh, inaugurates the new heavens and the new earth. You read a quote that is uh, very jarring. Uh, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you to read the quote, but then please explain maybe it. Maybe I'll back because, up just yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> maybe back up a little bit before, before the quote. If you only read the quote, then we're going to get a lot of emails. Um, but, uh, but no, read it and then give context and, and, um, and explanation to it. Yeah, I, the quote you're talking about is what I read in um, Dr. Michael Williams' book, who also he also teaches at Covenant Theological Seminary, where Jimmy is taught. Um, he wrote a book called um, Far As the Curse Is Found, and uh, he has a chapter on the renewal of all things. And he says this about 
about heaven. Um, he says, many think of heaven as the hope of the believer, but nowhere in scripture is heaven presented in this way. Quite simply, there is no text that says Christians go to heaven when they die. And now I think it's important that I keep reading yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah read um, a little more. Because yeah. that's, a heavy, that's a heavy quote. Um, admittedly, he says, this is a negative argument. Uh, but if heaven is our hope, our eternal abode, is it not reasonable to expect the Bible to say to say so somewhere? Some texts do indeed associate the believer with heaven, and he references Matthew five twelve and six twenty, Colossians three two, uh, Philippians three twenty. But he goes on to say, but they do not say that heaven is either our rightful home or our fervent hope. Um, and then he says, in reshaping our understanding of heaven, however, we need not dis- disassociate it from the intermediate state. I think it was the second sermon that you preached in the series where you talked about the intermediate state a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and I think you teed this up at the beginning, but that that's often when we talk about heaven, whether knowingly or not knowingly, that's often what we're referring to when we talk about heaven. Um, when we die, you're talking about the intermediate state. Um, but we were talking before the podcast, you know, when I, when I read this quote from the book here, um, you know, there's, there's a few scripture references that talk about heaven and the intermediate state, but there's not that many. You know, Paul says that uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's a couple other passages, but, you know, it's, it, there's just not a ton of architecture there. Um, and so I thought Jimmy had some good things to add to that. Um, but, in fact, I will ask Jimmy, what would you add to that? And why do you think Williams is saying that? Yeah, a, a few reasons um, that Mike would be saying that. One is to get us focused on the end goal that Scripture has us focused on, which is always the renewal of all things. It's that, that line from Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so sometimes we truncated that vision, and um, uh, using these this phrase, good, better, best. It is good to know Christ right now in this life and to belong to Him. It is better to depart this life and be in His presence. Philippians says that. It's better by far to depart and be with the Lord. Um, but that's not best. Sometimes we've substituted that better being with the Lord, absent from our bodies, um, present with Him in heaven. But Scripture goes on to talk about best, which is new heavens and new earth, which is heaven descending to this planet so that all things are renewed and our bodies are redeemed and raised and we're no longer living in that in-between time. So good, better, best, and sometimes we've substituted the better and said the story ends there. But the story actually goes on to include the best. And I think that's what is motivating uh, Mike Williams in that quote, to, to call us back to that biblical vision. And I'm going to sound a bit like the old, you know, that, that old record that keeps popping back to the same spot and go, hey, let's talk about Jesus again. Look at what Jesus experienced. He experienced this life. It ended in death on a cross. And then for a time... Not years, but for a time, Jesus experienced the intermediate state. He, he went into paradise 
his soul was with his father while his body was buried in a tomb on this planet. And then Jesus experienced resurrection life. And so Jesus has experienced all the things that you and I will if we live until, you know, if, if we don't live until his return, you and I will experience all three of those states too. Jesus went through all three. He has, he's the pioneer. He's gone before us in all of this. And so what we don't want to do is disconnect our expectations from his experience. Mm. So if his experience involves these three phases, and the last one is resurrection life in a physical body, then we don't want to stop in phase two and say, well, the, the thing I'm expecting and hoping for is kind of this bodiless existence as a pseudo-angel floating with a cloud and a harp. Right. Um, if Jesus experienced something more than that, then he will share that something more with us. And so we keep going back to him as exhibit A of what does new heavens and new earth look like? What does resurrection glory look like? Because he's the only one who's experienced that. He's yeah. gone before us. Yeah. yeah. That actually is really... that I, I love what you're saying there. I was, I was reading this morning. We're, I'm preparing for our, our Exodus series. And so I've been digging through some old Exodus things. And one of the things that came up in one of the books was talking about how mediators often go on the journey before the people that they are covenantally connected to do. And so they they are experiencing first what will then follow for those who are a part of that covenant. And that Jesus has done that for us. Like we're seeing the foretaste right there. He's leading the way and taking us with him as the head. I, I forgot if it's Goodwin or Sibs, one of the old Puritans who talks about how like, you know, if, if our head is in heaven, the body will follow. And like, man, what a beautiful, I just, I, I love it. So sorry, I'm glad you brought that up. My, my heart warmed just listening to that. So that's good. That's awesome. It, so let me try to... Um, as best as I can in my great weakness and insufficiency. Uh, tie a little bow around this part before I lead us into the next conversation. And and so what I want to make sure that if you're listening, that you're not hearing is this, uh, that we are in some way saying that those that you love who are in Christ um, are not in heaven, so to speak. They're with the Lord. That's the key. They're with Jesus, and it is better by far. So I'm thinking about those that uh, right now are in my mind of loved ones who uh, they're in they're in that that reality. They are with Christ, and that is better by far. But what what Jimmy, what I hear you saying that is so good for us to sit in is that uh, that's better by far, but it's not best. What's best is that as we are with Christ in the way that heaven exists now right, where his dwelling place is, there's going to be this reality where all things are made new. We are in our resurrected bodies just like he is now. And all the physicality of the realness of the world that we're in now is, is we're there. We're in this place. He is reigning. We are reigning with him in some way that blows my mind. And we are experiencing the renewed earth in the way that's even better than what Adam and Eve experienced, right? We, we often think, oh, if I could just go back to Eden, pre-sin. And God's saying to us, no, 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 no. I, there's something better coming. The best that you could possibly imagine, where not only are you with me, which is the pinnacle, that he's the focus, he's the center, it's always about Jesus, but we're in this reality 
of all things being having been made new for his glory. Uh, all right, real quick, and Jimmy, touch on this as fast as you can for the sake of time. Eternal life versus life of eternity. That language, talk, talk to us about, about why it might be better for us to say life of eternity. So oftentimes in the uh, Christian tradition, we've been taught that what, what we're hoping for and longing for is eternal life. And for an English speaker, that phrase tends to suggest uh, a quantity of life that's spread across an infinite amount of time. And so eternal life in English says more about quantity or duration or how many years does this life last. And because we're creatures and because we're fallen sinners, it's hard for us to think in any other category than, well, there's a finite amount of life and we're spreading it out over infinite time. So it's this kind of minimal quality of life over maximum time. But if we were to dig into scripture and to think instead of the life of eternity, it's the quality of life that's appropriate for somebody who is in the undiluted presence and experience of the eternal one. Um, It means that it's a maximum quality of life over a maximum quantity of time because it's continually being renewed by the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes I think even the language we use to talk about what it is that Jesus gains for us uh, can can cause us to subtly think, oh, I don't really want that. I don't want to be like Bilbo, you know, this little bit of butter spread too thin over too much toast. Mm. And uh, I don't have to be because uh, I'm, I'm having this quality of life that comes from Jesus. It's constantly renewed by the Holy Spirit. It's maximum life for maximum time. I don't know that we've got a good phrase to capture that, but life of eternity might get us a little bit closer. I just I love that because you're so spot on in terms of when we start trying to capture in our minds and get our minds around eternity, we automatically just insert our life realities now into the concept of eternity and go, oh my goodness, how do I mean forever? Really? And, that, and what you said is so true. So what we end up doing is we say minimum quality of life or maximum quality of time, as opposed to not understanding that we're, we're going to be existing in this life that's made for eternity. And that's going to be incredible. Here's what I'm going to do, guys. There's so much more that we have here before us of questions we want to work through and things we want to hit on. And so we'll we'll uh, we'll pause here. We'll continue this in another episode. And so wrap wrap what we talked about today up. Just a couple of questions that I think would be good for you as a listener and for us, just you know, to think and chew on is in light of what I've heard so far. Um, how does this quicken my heart? How does this engage my imagination and, and stir affection and longing for the reality of what's to come? Both in the better, that to be with the Lord is, is better by far, but even in the best, the new heavens, the new earth to come. Um, how, are, how might this be giving you some new paradigms, some new categories to think in, but ultimately getting us back to that reality that we've talked about, that uh, it's about Jesus, it's about his glory. And how is all this stirring more anticipation, longing and affection for him? So that's something to chew on. We'll pick back up with some more, uh, some more questions that we wanna hit on and the second part of this discussion on the new heavens and new earth. 